You know, we really have been spoiled. I mean, we Americans, we, we have been in a season that's been peace and safety for so long. If you understand anything about world history, you know that the world is always in some kind of chaos, some kind of war, some kind of plague. There's always some kind of disaster just, just devastating the world. We've been in a season all my lifetime where we've had peace and safety. I mean, it's really been cool. Amen. Till we've assumed that's normal. That's not normal for a planet that has fallen from God's favor. I mean, the world has rejected God, and God's not happy with that. But we have been blessed as a people, and all of a sudden, our eyes have been opened because we're living in a different kind of world today. Our world has been changed, and it will not go back to the way it used to be. I mean, politically, economically, financially, our world is different. And we can either bemoan that fact, woe is me, or we can see it as an opportunity for God to do something good. I've heard a lot of people talk about these are signs of the end times that we're seeing all around us, and I would agree with that. If, it's, if we're not living in the end times, this is a precursor to it, to wake us up, to get us ready, because the world is different. And uh, so I decided I would preach on end times, and I began going through the New Testament scriptures, prophecies that talked about end time events, uh, with the intention of doing that. And as I did that, I realized that there are some action steps he tells us to do. So rather than just looking at the signs of the times, we're going to look at the action steps that he tells us to take when we see these things happening. So I've got four of them this morning. If you come back next week, we're going to look at some more and the week after that. This is going to be a three-parter. Okay, so here's number one if you want to, if you want to write it down. Lift up your head. When you see these things happening. Luke chapter 21 verse 28. Says when these things. Jesus is speaking here. When these things begin to take place. Stand up and lift up your heads. Because your redemption is drawing nigh. This is a positive thing church for Christians. This is not a negative thing. Oh, I hear people all the time posting something on Facebook or saying something about bemoaning the fact that we're seeing signs of the end times. I say, hallelujah, glory to God, Jesus is about to come back. What are we supposed to do when we see these signs? We're supposed to lift up our heads because our redemption draws nigh. You might have been born again and your sin is under the blood and you're you have a promise of going to heaven, but your redemption isn't complete till Jesus comes back. Amen. It's discouraging to look at other people who are down and out and defeated. It makes me want to be down and out and defeated. But I refuse to be victimized. When the governor told us we couldn't meet because we had too many people coming, I did not see that as an affront to me. I saw it as an opportunity. What are we, what are we going to do now? We had to come up with something 
creative. We had to do something new. It wasn't easy, and we only had like four days to do it. But I think it was our best hour. I think people put their know-how together and came up with a creative way of communicating without being in the same house. I did not hang my head and say, woe is us. I saw it as an opportunity. Everything that comes into my life has to pass through God's hand to get to me. Everything. Therefore, I'm not victimized. Because people who are victimized have their head down. Woe is us. What are we going to do? I choose not to live that kind of life. I could say more about that, but I'm going to move on. There is a great enemy at work in you, in your head, in your brain. There is a great enemy who's trying to deceive us, get our eyes off the main thing, get us sidetracked, doesn't want us focusing on the main thing here. He's Satan. And Satan makes us victims. He wants to get her head down. Because nobody wants to be like us if we got her head down. The only thing that's going to influence anybody to be like us is if we hold her head up. And people see in the middle of chaos, in the middle of the same restrictions being placed on Christians as non-Christians, the non-Christian world goes into depression. The Christian community should go into What's the word? What's the word? Other than uh, depression? Rejoice. Rejoice. <laughs> we ought to see it as an opportunity. What is God doing that's new? I want to look at that. Because I refuse to be a victim Amen. when I'm a child of God. Victims have lost control. You know, that's that's... I want to be in control of my life. How many want to be in control of your life? Absolutely. And when things happen that make me feel like I'm losing control of my life, I kind of panic because I want to get back in control again. But think about this. If we who want to be in control have truly surrendered our life to Jesus Christ... And made him Lord of our life. What does that mean? He's Lord. That means he's responsible for watching out for me, for taking care of me. So when people take take away what I think are my individual rights, I gave them to God a long time ago. Nobody takes anything away from me. I am not victim. I'm a victor. That's the first thing. Victims have lost control. Second thing I want us to see about victims is they are always angry about losing control. Always angry. How many have friends on Facebook that are angry all the time? How many don't get on Facebook, but you've got friends that are angry all the time? (laughs) Were they angry about losing control? My wife likes to tell the story. She and I were dating. We were just getting to know each other, and she came over to the apartment I had, and there was a fluorescent light fixture in the ceiling, one of those circular things, and it wouldn't work. Put a new bulb in it, still didn't work, so I went for the starter. Bought a starter, tried to get that thing up in there. It was so tight, I couldn't get that starter in there. 
and my wife was watching me. It wasn't my wife at the time. She was watching me, and I'm working at that thing. Finally, I took that down, and I said, if I wasn't a Christian, I would take this thing and throw it clear across the room. And she burst out laughing. She's laughed about it ever since. First time she saw me angry. <laughs> Why was I angry? The thing wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. It should fit right in there, and I couldn't quite get it in there to lock into place. Made me mad. And I learned, I get angry every time I don't get my way. Anybody in this room, does that resemble that? I get angry when I don't get my way. I want my way. When I don't get my way with my wife, I get angry. When she doesn't get her way with me, she gets angry. Anybody else have a problem like that? We want to be in control. And when we can't be in control, we get angry. And when we get angry, we do dumb things we later regret. Here's the third thing about being a victim. Victims are always afraid they'll lose more control. Always afraid. That's the two big motivators I see happening in our country today, anger and fear. We're afraid we're going to lose something in the economy, lose something in, 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 with, with our, our, uh, our privilege, where we are. We're afraid we're going to lose something with our job. We're afraid or we're angry. Both of those are not Christian responses, by the way, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Because everything that happens to you has to pass through his hands. So when you see things happening and you're losing control and you're angry and you're afraid, the best thing to do is just come back to the cross. Say, Lord, I want to give my life to you one more time. I want you to be in control of my life. And watch what happens. So Satan is at work in your head. He's an enemy trying to pervert your thoughts. But there's an even greater power at work within you the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit resides inside of you? Amen. The kingdom of God is in you. How does that happen? The Spirit of God is inside of you, affecting your mind. We just need to make our mind up which influence is going to influence us. Am I going to let God influence me or am I going to let the enemy influence me? And the Spirit is saying in the verse we just read, if you remember because your redemption draws nigh, you may be born again. You may be filled with the Spirit of God. You may have given your life to Jesus, accepted what he did on the cross, and allowed his blood to cleanse you. You may have done that, but your redemption isn't complete until Jesus comes back. That's why we, we as Christians still go through some of the trials we go through, some of the crises we go through, some of the problems we have. Because our redemption isn't complete. But when we see the signs of Jesus' return coming right before us, right in our very eyes, reading it on the newspaper and the evening news, when we see these things happening, lift up your heads, church, for your redemption is drawing nigh. Remember that. Hang on to that. Be encouraged with that. It's drawing close. It's not here yet. It's close. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. Be confident. Here's number two. I got to keep moving. This, the second thing, action step we're supposed to take in the end times, is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 
through 13. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version because I like the way it says it better. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. There's the action step. Do business. Do business. We are not supposed to be hiding out in a hole someplace that's nice and safe. We're not supposed to be isolating ourselves so we're not around anybody so we might uh, get sick or have a problem. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to do business. No, he tells them a parable. It's important that we understand what the parable is representing. You know, a parable is a dual story, a story that everybody understands, and then another story within it that only certain people can understand because they have insight that others don't. So he gives a parable. And there's three elements of the parable I need, to see, I need us to see. The first one is, he says, it's a certain nobleman. Now, how does a person become a nobleman? You can't work for it. There's only one way to become a nobleman. You got to be born into royalty. You have to be born into the family. That's how you become Noble, a nobleman. So it's a, the parallel here is Jesus. Jesus was born king of the Jews. That helpless little baby was king of the Jews. Just hadn't come to maturity yet. The NIV says he was a man of noble birth. And nobody had a more noble birth than Jesus. The second part of the parable... He went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He's going to a far country. wonder what that could be representing. Jesus is going to leave this planet and he's going to go to a far country where he will receive a kingdom. He didn't have the kingdom when he was down here. He went to get it. He went up to Father's house where he sits at the right hand of the Father today receiving his kingdom. And you and I down here are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. We are the ones that act, do the action work of Jesus Christ on this earth. So he tells us through his spirit what to do, and we do it. And nothing for the kingdom's sake gets done unless we do it. We are his hands and feet. He limits himself to only working through us. This is why most churches in America are dead. They're just a social club. Great things on Sunday morning. Nothing happens the rest of the week. I want to motivate myself and I want to motivate you. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's be the church of Jesus Christ in these last days. Let's do what Jesus would do if he were here. And then there's a third part. He went to a far country to receive a kingdom and to return. Did you get that? The kingdom really doesn't, the the parable really doesn't mean anything if we don't have that last part in there. He's coming back again. So he gathered all his servants together, ten servants, gathered the ten servants and gave each of them ten minas. A mina was a 
monetary amount. No small amount. They say a miner was about three months' wages. How much do you make in three months? Let's just, uh, for, the, for the sake of a visualization, let's just say it's $10,000. He gave each of his servants $10,000. That's a significant amount. What would you do if somebody gave you $10,000 and told you to make it grow, do business with it? What would you do with that $10,000? we would all have some decisions to make, wouldn't we? But he gave each of them $10,000, and he says, do business with it. That's an action step. Do business with what he's given us. The number 10 represents man's responsibility. When God gave them directions on how he wanted man to live his life, he gave them the 10 commandments. When Pharaoh wouldn't do what God wanted him to do, he sent 10 plagues. 10 is the number of man's responsibility. So he gave each of them in this parable 10 minas and gave them responsibility. Go do something with it. The King James Version says, Occupy till I come. I always kind of like that because occupy kind of, it's a military term. You know, you go into another territory and you occupy it. You take control of it. But that's not really what that means. That's why they changed it in modern translations. It really means, occupy means occupy yourself. Go get something to do. Do something. The message version says, operate with this until I come. The NIV says, put this money to work until I return. The King James Version says, do business until I get back. And he's given us a nest egg. He's given us a starter kit. What is the, what is the minus he's given you? Not minus. Minus. What, what kind of quality gift has he given you? It's a gift or an ability or a trade. Trade is a word we... That, that's actually what the Greek word here means. Trade. Trade with it. Go do something with it. I, I have a trade. I am a, what, what's, the, what's the government call it? I'm a social scientist. I work with people. That's my trade. <laughs> Not good with other things. I work with people. That's my trade. I'm a good public speaker. I'm a good communicator. I care about people. I know how to pray. I know how to encourage people that are discouraged. That's my trade. I have to use this. I can't retire from it. I have to use this trade. I have to use this gift. I have to use these things. What's God given you? What's your trade? Everyone in this room, we have certain skills. We have certain abilities. Maybe we went to school for those skills. Maybe we learned those over years of practice. Maybe there's some experiences we went through that was very painful, but it taught us something that we can pass on to somebody else. What has God put in you? Each of these things are minas. Each of these things are investments. Each of these things are tools of the trade for you to use. What are you doing with the tools? What are you doing with your trade? Because he's coming back again. Amen. And he's going to give account, or we're going to have to give account, what we did 
with those. Um, I'm looking at the clock. Is it go- no, it's going the wrong way. I can't share that story. Okay, here's, here's number three, the third thing I want to do. <clears throat> encourage one another. That's a requirement. When you see these signs, encourage one another. You can't crawl in your safe place hole. You got to encourage somebody. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I'm not sure if the words he's saying that we should encourage one another are... Uh, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. In other words, it's bad down here, but there's something better coming. Or if the words he's referring to are, so we will be with the Lord forever. Either one's good news. Either one's encouragement. When we see somebody down and out, we got to give them hope. This is what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world. We have a hope. We got to give people that hope. A Christian has a hope in troubled times. Yes. We don't lose our hope That's right. because troubled times come. You know, I got God on my side as long as I'm blessed and everything's going fine. No, I got God on my side and everything's going fine even when everything's falling apart. Amen. God's good. God's good. You know, it's interesting that we would talk about this now that we got this COVID-19 thing going on. How do we encourage one another? How do we do that when sometimes it's just not safe to be out there being around the people that really need to hear us communicate with them? When we had to shut down our services and we were forced to go into an online format and we had to get these cameras and the technology and, and we had to get that all organized we had just had four days to do it. I'm really proud of our team that scrambled. And I know everybody's saying, Pastor Deal's such a wonderful pastor because they still got church going on. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I don't know a ding-dong about this. My trade is communicating. Somebody else has a trade that knows the technical end of things. They put this together, and I am so thankful to them for doing that. And we didn't do it via Facebook or some of the other formats. We did it online so that we could do that chat thing. Those of you that watched it, you know that you have the ability to do a chat and communicate. And Pastor Todd, who's kind of the online pastor, kind of asks questions sometimes and probes and get things going. That was our best attempt at what the devil threw at us to shut us down. Is that the best way to do it? Of course not. But it worked. I refuse to be a victim. I'm going to look for opportunities for God to bring something good out of it. So the chat was designed for people to encourage one another. And I don't know about you, but every time I said, good morning, so-and-so, on the chat, I felt like I was com- it, it was the second best. It wasn't the best, but it worked. And when somebody says, good morning, Pastor Deal, that made my day. 
I had some interaction going on. Somebody's trying to encourage me. And now that we're back, a lot of us are back. We're not doing the online chat. Now we get to do the real chat. I like that better. I like that better. I like to see somebody's reaction. Helps me know if they're really mad at me or not. <laughs> and listen, even though many of us don't have line, landlines anymore, we still have a cell phone, and they still work, and you can still call people up and encourage them. Because one of the things we need to do when we see the end drawn near is we need to encourage one another. Satan's strategy is for us to get together and gripe and complain about our jobs. Get together and gripe and complain about the economy. Gripe and complain about politics. Gripe and complain about the church. Gripe and complain about this. Gripe and complain about that. That's Satan's strategy because it divides. Puts our heads down. God's strategy is for God's people to get together and encourage one another. To give someone a word we've received from God, to put that and instill that in somebody else's heart, to make a deposit in somebody else, that's God's design. And we need to look for ways to put a positive spin on every negative Satan throws at us. How can, I, how can I redeem this situation? How can I bring something good? How can I uplift somebody who's down? This is our mission. This is the mission of the church, especially as we're drawn close to the end. Here's, here's the last one. I've got to wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Capital D. You know what that means, don't you? As you see the day of the Lord just about to come, as you see the signs, as you see things happening that, that, are, that set it up, as you begin to see the reality of this, this is all the more reason for us to get together and motivate one another, encourage one another. Motivate is what Spur on means. You know what spurs are? Cowboy wears spurs to spur on his horse. We need to spur one another on because we'll all become lazy and lethargic and just settle back in our comfortable seats. But that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to minister to one another. So meet together. That's the point I want to get. We need to meet together. Satan has done a real good job of getting Christians to not meet together. Getting Christians to say, well, I don't, I don't go to church anymore. Why? Why, this happened or that happened or some other bad thing happened. That's why I don't go to church anymore. What a pathetic reason to rebel against the Word of God. Because somebody offended me. You can't go through life and not be offended. It goes with the territory. So we need to make up our minds what, what our purpose here on this earth is and quit getting offended. Dumb people are going to do dumb things. But that's no excuse for me to do the dumb thing back. So what are some excuses why people don't come to church? Let, let me do this real quickly. I don't have anything to wear. Hello? Look around here. 
Satan has tried to use that argument to keep people from coming into God's house. And God's turned it around because we've had to go online and people get to sit in their PJs at home and get to watch us. They get to watch us right here and they get to see what we wear. They get to see what, that we're real. When I was a kid, everybody had... Every, every, my mom, I was a little kid and mom would dress me up in a white shirt and a tie. Give me a spit bath on the way to church. Because everybody knew you dress your best when you go to church. We live in a different world, but people are still stuck with that stigma. I don't care what you wear to church. I don't care if you wear pajamas and come into this place. I would rather have you wear pajamas in here than would have you not come. But the second best for a lot of people is online church. I'm not negating that. I want to thank you for tuning in and watching uh, what we're, what, you're a part of us. You're a part of us. Oh, I've got to get back to my point. B, number two, all I want is my money. How many have heard that? Four of us. <laughs> all I want is my money. I'll tell you, it's like this. You can tune in. Watch online and see that we're not after your money. However, we can't do anything without your finances. Government doesn't give us any money. Where does our money come from? It doesn't materialize out of the skies. It comes from the donations of God's people. So everything we're able to do is because you gave. Number three, a bunch of hypocrites down there. Quite frankly, I don't have an argument against that. <laughs> I'm trying my best not to be. I'm trying my best to make promises to God and then keep them. But sometimes I'm just hypocritical. And so are you. And so are the people that use that as an excuse not to come. I'd rather be a hypocrite trying to not be than just be a surefire hypocrite by staying home. Here's number, five, number four. The roof would fall in if I came in. We've had a couple of those people come in here, and the roof's still in place. It doesn't even leak. I mean, God's house is built solid. I was on, part of, I was on the building committee when we built this thing. This roof's built pretty good. It's not going to fall in if you come. If it was fall in when anybody, if it would have fallen in if anybody comes in, it would have fallen in when you came. Why is church important? Let me, let me, I'm trying to do this quick. I'm really trying to get finished. I'm looking, my time is up. But let me, I got to say this. Why is being a part of the church of Jesus Christ important? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, because it's a hospital. This is a place where wounded Christians, this is a place where people who have been shot down, people who have become diseased can come and find health and refreshment. This is a hospital for sinners. We don't tell people they can't come in here because they don't dress like us. They don't look like us. They didn't drive our kind of vehicle. We don't do that. It's a hospital. Number two, it's a training center. A training center is where people get equipped and trained. This is a safe place to experiment with, with, with spiritual gifts. This is a safe place to experiment with what God is trying to say to us. And will we make mistakes with it? Absolutely. But this is a safe place to do that. We don't shoot each other down when they don't measure up. 
Number three, it's a communication center. This is where all of us who have an individual gifting that God is working through us and we're doing different things to serve the body of Christ, this is where we can communicate that. This is where we can interrelate with the different trades that we have here in, in the Lord's house. Number four, it's a headquarters. A headquarters is where, where everything begins and goes out from. This is a headquarters. We expect you to be creative out there in the workplace with your trade doing the work of the Lord. But we come in here to get give some commonality to that. Number five, it's a place of rest and recuperation. It's a place where those of us who are weary from the strain out there in this world and the pressure that's under, we can come in here and it's a place to find refreshment and recuperation so that we can go back out again Monday and start all over again. And lastly, number six, it's an incubator. You know what an incubator is? That's where you can keep the embryos safe so they don't get snuffed out before they even begin to grow. This is a safe place for, peop- for Christians who are brand new in the faith, still full of their dysfunctions and their addictions, can come and they can get exposed to the truth of God's Word and exposed to other people's testimonies of how God has delivered them and set them free. This is an incubator for, for the seed uh, that's going to grow in people's hearts and people's lives. This is why meeting together is crucial for the body of Christ. I need it. You need it. We all need it, and we might as well acknowledge it. Let's stand together. So with these things, these action steps we're supposed to take, what do you need to do? How do you need to change? How do you need to beef something up? How do you need to inspire yourself just a little bit more? Because if you see the day approaching, your redemption is drawn nigh. That's good news, church. It's good news for you.